two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Ted, it's that time once again. We are now at episode 63. Hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of someone famous with the number 63, and I can't do it. Cody Risen. Cody Risen. I should remember that. I actually, the Browns, long story short, Browns used to have a little lunch at the beginning of the season. I actually got his autograph. He yeah. signed a garbage can for me. How about that? Signed that's, a garbage can for you. That's uh, Boy, not what you're looking for, but uh, some information. Ted, I, I don't usually do this, as you know, yeah. but I'm going to I'm just going to open up a little bit. I oh, have please. felt very stressed in the past couple of weeks, and I don't know why. Huh. Obviously, nothing personal. I have some business things going on with myself that obviously get me stressed, but I don't know. I've just felt a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety on things and all that. Have you felt the same way? Oh, tremendous stress. It's really just, you know, work, kids, the whole kit and caboodle has been very, wait a minute. Well, this is interesting. I just found a uh, study here. Okay. And the most stressed cities in the country. Okay. Well, Ken, Cleveland's on top of a list. Unfortunately, it's this list. <laughs> Wallet Hubs 2021, most and least stressed cities in America. The most stressed city in the U.S. measured by 41 metrics is Cleveland, Ohio. Holy cow. So they most stress. Most stress. Uh, these the things they measure include unemployment rate, divorce rate, health, income, and we have the most or the least. What if it's something we should have more most of? We don't. And if it was something we should not have, then we have it. Here's the uh, the top five. Number five, Newark, New Jersey. I could see that. Who, who okay. wants to live in Newark? Uh, number four. Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. You're, you're awful close to Washington, D.C. there, which I'm guessing yep. is part of the problem. New Orleans, Louisiana is number three, and I'm not sure why that is. Because uh, of, of hurricanes? I don't know. Well, it's that, and then I. there's a lot of different issues going on. It's a great city to visit. There's a huge homeless population there. Okay. So that might have something to do with that. Detroit, Michigan, number two. Yeah. And Cleveland, number one. It seems like, I got to say, seems like Cleveland and Detroit are constantly competing for the top spot on these lists that nobody wants to be on. Yeah, it really does. It's, I don't know. I, I think a part of it is there's bigger cities that some industry has left at some point in time. And obviously, there's a lot less people there. But you're just dealing with, I mean, I hate to say it, the homeless population in both of those cities is pretty high. So that has a lot to do with it. But I don't know from the key metrics and all that stuff. And I think I, I, I heard about this report. The divorce rate in Cleveland, Ohio is extremely high where they were like number one or number two yeah. on that list. Yes. I mean, Cleveland's divorce crazy. rate, 41 percent. Wow. Almost half of the marriages in Cleveland and in divorce, the lowest That's divorce crazy. rate, nine percent. Wow! Now, That's if you want to go to a, a, a city where there's no stress, 
That, I was going to ask you about this. Where do I need to go if I want to de-stress or, or not right. have stress at all? So this survey measured 182 cities. And so the, the last five, Columbia, Maryland. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Not, not sure why that is. Nashua, New Hampshire. I've been there. That's nice. It's nice over there. Okay. Madison, Wisconsin. I've been there. That's nice. Okay. Fremont, California. That's all you I, need to say. It's I don't nice. understand. But, but yeah, but is really anywhere in California that's stress-free right now? Unless you're worried about an earthquake. Well, you know. okay. And then the, the least stressed city in the U.S., South Burlington, Vermont. Huh. I can't say I've never been there. I'm familiar with Vermont, but I've never been to that mm -hmm. city. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what what makes them so low. Uh, I don't know. But uh, maybe we should go there and maybe we should do a show from there. I think it's a great call. Location. We need to be yeah. on location. At yes, some point. I think I so. Agree. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of uh, location, the location for this week's show is the most stressed city. And coming up on this show, a woman chooses a unique way to get her revenge on her ex. We talked about divorce rate. Well, yep. they weren't married, but. We're going to talk about a way a woman sought her revenge on her ex in Klopp's clips. Steve Muehlhausen from DAZN, D-A-Z-N.com, is here to get in the ring and talk about wrestling, getting back in front of live crowds and more. Lots of news and notes with Steve. We look to history and sports this week with uh, This Week in Cleveland History and This Week in Cleveland Sports. And... Musician Jen Lauren is here to talk about her group, Diamonds and Whiskey, and their new single. That country voodoo is gonna love the locks of you. Pinch of regret, shake of hate. Stir that pot, yeah, you just wait. Devil works it out of my soul. Cats just spilling, bide your time. If revenge is your goal, trade your soul. Secrets die here, no one will know. That country voodoo. Ted, we have good news, as we Thank usually goodness. do. Yeah. A dress worn by Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz has been found in a box at Catholic University in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. The dress was gifted to the school nearly 50 years ago by actress Mercedes McCambridge. Matt Rippa is a current lecturer in the drama department, and he found the box on top of some mail slots near his desk. Holy wow. God. The huh. school contacted the entertainment curator at the Smithsonian. He and two colleagues examined the dress and they say it is the real thing. It hmm. is the sixth version of Dorothy's dress from the 1939 film known to still exist. Wow. wow. How do wow. you not know where this is and how is it just kind of <laughs> hidden away? I mean, this just sort of in a, a box. Big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I got my stapler over there. It's yeah. It's next to that box. What's in the box. I haven't looked in it. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just the dress from the Wizard of Oz. No yeah. big deal. Yeah. Nah. Judy Gar Garland wore it. You know, yeah. it's probably one of the most famous dresses ever. No big deal. That's cool. Right next to those sequined red shoes. I don't know what those <laughs> are from. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Goodness. Well, thank goodness. That That is some good news.
Well, this week in Cleveland history, July 9th, 1982. We were both born at that time. That's kind of yeah. Amazing. Oh, well, after nine months of. <laughs> what? You sound like you passed a kidney stone. Oh, well, I'm just excited because yeah. I was 11 in uh, July. Nope. Of, actually, I was 10 in July of 82. Oh, that is nice. I was seven. Yeah, I was born seven. So. Yeah. Well, after nine months of restoration, costing $4 million, that's a lot of money that time. Yeah. The Ohio Theater reopens as the new home of the Great Lakes Theater Festival with a production of William Shakespeare's As You Like It. Huh. Ted, have you had the opportunity to go to the Ohio Theater? Have you been there before? I think so, but the, you know, all those theaters are so beautiful. Yes. Um, it's tough for me to to separate, you know, which theater I'm in. They're all very ornate. I think Playhouse Square in Cleveland, now I'm a little biased, but I I would put it just below Broadway in terms of a theater district and things like that. Yes, I think I it's agree. tremendous. But yeah, no, I, I don't have any specific done. memory. I, I, I tell you what I do remember is, or what I do always enjoy driving by is the marquee for the state and for the Ohio with all the lights. I think those are really cool. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the Great Lakes Theater Festival, that still goes on to this day. I think they had to take a pause because of the pandemic. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, who did not? I mean, it's right. like everybody. But uh, yeah. we are very blessed in this area to have some outstanding theaters and outstanding arts area. I mean, once again, living in Cleveland, Ohio, you would not think that, but as John Grabowski, who's our expert, who's been on with us before, has talked about, we are very blessed to have what we have here. Blah 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 Our guest today is a singer-songwriter from North Carolina who began playing piano at the age of four. Today she's the lead vocalist for the award-winning band Diamonds and Whiskey, who just released a new single called Backcountry Voodoo, part of the album Blonde Ambition, which will be released. Later this year. She's got that back country voodoo. He's gonna love the likes of you. A pinch of regret, shake of hate. I'll stir that pie. Yeah, you just wait. Devil Let's talk with Jennifer Warren. Jen, thanks for your time. Diamonds and Whiskey. Tell us about the band. And Diamonds and Whiskey is an interesting name. Tell me where the name <laughs> of the band came from. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, it is, it's a great name and it's two of our favorite things. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, um, I actually chose that name a long time ago. Just, I was on a boat with some friends and we were all talking and they were kind of describing me because I'm a lot of different people meshed into one, I guess you could say. <laughs> and I was thinking of something bright and shiny because I, I love diamonds, of course. And then also something to wrap around, wrap around the edges because... Sometimes I'm in boots or, you know, tennis shoes, and then other times I'm in stilettos. So it just depends on, on what day it is as to what personality you're getting. So obviously you started music at a very young age, extremely impressive at the age of four. You certainly took some vocal lessons at the age of eight. What was your influence for, for starting at such a young age and doing what you're doing now? Well, it was actually all church. I didn't, I mean, we've, I grew up in a very uh, religious family and it was all 
church-based. I played going to church, you know, played piano in church and, and sang and really didn't listen to secular music till I got to college. So, so yeah, mostly just gospel. That was uh, definitely what influenced me as a child. Now, in reading about you, I see that your lyrics are described as part of your story. And I'm quoting here from the bio. It says, the story is one of heartache, strength, and overcoming all obstacles. So tell me about that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you got a while? <laughs> um, no. It's been a life. Uh, if you listen to our first album, Heartbreak Queen, those are the first 10 songs I ever wrote, actually. And they're definitely all stories from my life. But yeah, everything from cancer to Lyme disease, divorce now. And, you know, I have a child that my childhood was was crazy. So it's been a it's been a life of a lot of challenges. So a lot yeah. of your influences, obviously, are very famous people that certainly have heard of them before. Dolly Parton, Hart, Tori Amos, Rob Thomas and Eminem, which I found extremely interesting. Talk about. You know, certainly at a younger age, you heard a lot of that music and you could tell I've listened to a few of your songs. You incorporate that into your music. Talk about how all those influences kind of created, I guess, the way you sing and, and the way you write and things like that. You can definitely hear that I'm a lot of rock and roll, you know, a little bit of country and gosh, this new album, we've got ragtime and, and pop and all sorts of things. I wish I had a really good answer for you when it comes to that. I think I just have listened to so many different artists that, and I love so much that it all just kind of gets thrown in without me really thinking about it. I don't really go into a song thinking, oh, I want to sound like this, or, you know, I don't write with anything in mind, really. I just love so many different types of music that it comes out in different songs. So I, I wish I had a really good answer for you. People ask me that all the time because if you <laughs> listen to, to the whole record, there's a lot of different stuff on there. And this new yes. record's like that. You've got everything from straight rock and roll to all the way traditional country to modern country to what we call swamp rock. You know, we're, our sound is very swampy. And it really is influenced <laughs> by, by so many different artists. And, and I don't want to sound like anyone in particular. I, I just want to be me. And I think, you know, I'm a little crazy. And uh, all my personalities come out. <laughs> that. So that's, that's really more what it stems from, what mood I'm in that day. I'm curious, <clears throat> you say it, 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 you, your sound is swampy. What is, does that mean you're, you're, you're singing in mud or what are we? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't start that description. That happened a long, long time ago when we first came out with, you know, Heartbreak Queen and several of the songs in there have very, what we call swampy guitarists. Um, okay. and, and people say that because my guitarist at the time was from New Orleans and um, he really brought that flair to the music and it influenced me so much in, in a lot of my writing. And so, yeah, people say it's swampy. I don't, I don't really know how else to describe it other than when we <laughs> think of, of Louisiana, it, it's kind of that swampy feel, if you will. I mean, I've been in Louisiana several times, and I've been in swamps. I actually took swamp tours. <laughs> so yeah, that influenced a lot of the sound. And if you listen to like Muddy Water or Hold On or Heartbreak Queen, you'll get the that vibe. So a lot of people call what we do swamp rock. <laughs> Certainly, you're, you'd mentioned you're going to your next gig. So you're on tour again, which has got to be super exciting. You're in North Dakota, Wisconsin, Kansas, Iowa, Wyoming, Colorado, Oklahoma, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Talk about what it's like to be back on the road. Oh my gosh. It's, 
it's awesome. It's tiring. I'm exhausted and I'm remembering what it used to be like, except this year was, well, last year was supposed to be, you know, our first like bigger tour, you know, opening for majors and playing on the fair circuit and festival circuits. And we lost that because of COVID, but we had toured before that. I've been to California and back, I think like four times, you know, the year before that. It's exhausting. I had forgotten how exhausting it was, but the excitement way overrides that. And it's so great to see faces again. I mean, the first time we played, I, I teared up on stage because I was so excited just to see smiling faces and get to connect with people. I, I think we really need that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm elated. I'm just super happy. I'm, we're on a 24-hour drive now all the way to, to New Salem, North Dakota, and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, for folks who want to find out more about the band, maybe get the single or the album, tell us where they can find you, find uh, the, the music, that kind of thing. Um, well, our website is diamondsandwhiskeyband.com. And uh, you can find pretty much everything from tour dates. We've got a new merch site coming. And then Facebook, we're Diamonds and Whiskey. Instagram is Diamonds and Whiskey Official. Twitter is Diamonds Whiskey. They won't let us have the and. I don't know. It's really controlling. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, um, yeah, so anyway, you can just Google us. We're there. <laughs> we got tons of, tons of YouTube videos up now. And Backcountry Voodoo, as you know, just came out. And as our most streamed song, I think it's about to hit 50,000 on YouTube. Uh, we just released the videos. We're pretty, pretty proud of that right now. And it's still going strong. So definitely go check that out. Well, it's an awesome song. Ken and I were listening to it when we were getting ready to uh, talk to you. Uh, very unique sound and very entertaining. And Thank we you. wish you nothing but the, uh, the best of luck. And uh, keep wh whoever's driving for you there, tell them 10 and 2, 10 and 2 for 24 hours. So. <laughs> I said tell you 10 and 2. 10 and yeah. Two. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. Best of luck. I hope it's not. I hope the drummer isn't driving. His hands will be tired by the time he's got to play. Oh no, he he's what we call bougie. He he's a uh, high maintenance. He gets to ride the whole time. Yeah. I see. Okay. Well, in that case, tell him he's lazy. <laughs> I, oh, I definitely will. He's okay. <laughs> All right, General. Hey, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. Time for another overachiever, Ken. We're going to highlight uh, something extraordinary that's happened. Okay. This week's overachiever is a six-year-old, Arna Gupta of India. Wait till you hear what she did. She okay. unofficially broke the Guinness World Record by identifying 93 airlines by the designs on the tails of the planes in one minute. 93 in what? one minute. Now, evidence from her record attempt still has to be approved by Guinness. The record-keeping organization right now lists the record at 39, set by a 12-year-old last year. So I, I'm trying to – how do you identify 93 plane logos in 60 seconds? That's more than one a second. Yeah, I don't know how you do that. I mean, but just keep apparently she them did. off from a flashcard. Wow, that's crazy. Now, now I, you know, I mean – when I'm great, fabulous, great job on the memory. Could yep. we find anything more obscure? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> now, next week on the show, 
I think what we're going to do is we're going to put a timer up and I'm going to show beer logos and see how many you can identify in one minute and see if it's 93. You got a good shot. I yeah. mean, there's not many logos I haven't seen, but yeah, yeah that's, I, I, maybe that's a show. We have to look that up in the Guinness world records. Maybe I can have a record live on the podcast. Who yeah. Knows? Yeah. Well, congratulations to six-year-old Arna Gupta of India. She is this week's overachiever. Cleveland! This is for you! Time for another edition of This Week in Cleveland Sports, July 20th, 1925. This is unreal. Located in North Randall, Thistledown Racetrack, built by John H. McMillan, opens for its first racing season. That is unbelievable. I had no idea that track was so old. Yeah, almost 100 years ago. When's the last time you've been to Thistledown? Oh, it's been a while, but I've been there. Won won a little bit of cash there once or twice. But Really? Yeah. Very nice. Now, let's bring in our our Cleveland uh, sports historian, Dusty Slow. Wait a minute. What he's on vacation. <laughs> he gets a vacation. Kind of you ever taken a vacation while we've been doing this show? No. No. I've been on location, but never vacation. Dedication to the to the listeners. How does this guy get a vacation? Well, I have to cut uh, his pay. Let's okay. be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No PTO, no. cut the pay. What do you think no. Dusty would say about the ponies and the racetrack if he were not on vacation? Well, knowing my friend Dusty, I've known him for a long time. I don't know if he knows that much about <laughs> horse racing. He is a big main sports guy. You got the main sports out yeah. and he knows it. He probably knows about the history and could talk about that. But when it comes to the ponies, that, that is not really his cup of tea. Now, I will say this. If someone has not done this and mm. you have the opportunity Thistledown is a very good racetrack and you can get extremely close to where the racing is. And if Mm -hmm. you've not seen a thoroughbred run down a racetrack at the end and see how big these animals are, you need to experience that at least once. It is unbelievable. The ground shakes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't do it justice on TV. I mean, just like a lot of other things, but when you see these animals, Live and in person. And the thing with Thistledown, too, you can go down on the inside of the area where they kind of warm up and they they trot the horses around and all. You can go in that area and get super close to the to the animals. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. It's, well, it's a great place. They've done it very well for a long time. I highly recommend it. This is not a commercial for Thistledown. I'm just talking about horse racing. Check it out once. You'll, you'll be very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. But you put any money on any uh, horses these days? Oh, we don't, we don't talk about I'm that. sorry. I'll okay. Just leave well, it as that, as you mentioned before, I won twice. Yeah. Well, uh, here's what I recall about Thistledown. Every 19 minutes. Crazy. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Crazy. It's just, <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to express, but uh, yeah, I'll just close that with, Cleveland! This is for you! Time to 
Time for Where'd That Come From? We're going to look at a common phrase and examine its origin. This week, the phrase is, I heard it through the grapevine. That's a song. That's, yeah. Now it's a, now it's a where'd it come from thing. I love it. Yeah. It's getting bigger by the day. This saying can be, uh, for gossip, heard through a number of sources, popped up in the 1800s when Samuel Morris, you might remember him. I do. He's the guy that invented the telegraph, two wires strung across poles. Many people said that they looked like train vines and began referring to them as grape vines. Hmm. Now, there were rumors that came out during the Civil War through the telegraph, and people would say when they were asked, well, where'd you hear that? How's, how's that true? They'd say, well, I, I heard it through the grapevine. Any rumors? Do you have any rumors you want to share? I have a few, but I just can't say it on this podcast. Uh, well, where, where, where'd you hear them? Through the grapevine. Oh, no, not a dad joke. Which days are the strongest? Hmm. Which days are the strong? I don't know. Which days? Saturday and Sunday. Wh- why? The rest are weekdays. That joke was horrible. All right, let's get in the ring. Steve Muehlhausen from DAZN, D-A-Z-N.com, is back with us to talk more pro wrestling. And Steve, for once, we don't have any releases from WWE to talk about. I don't know what we're going to do here, but that doesn't mean we don't have some interesting news. So Jimmy Uso, the real name Jonathan Fatu, Arrested last week for a DUI. It's the second time in two years. Apparently, he ran a red light going 50 and a 35. They said he was noticeably swaying when they talked to him and admitted to having multiple beers. He failed a field sobriety test and two breath tests that came back at 0.202 and 0.205. And for those of you not math majors, I can tell you that is more than twice the legal limit. So with all that said, what about discipline? In previous years, guys might get fired or let go, but I'm guessing WWE, this is a little trickier because this guy is Roman Reigns' cousin. He's the top guy there. And they're also related to some guy named Dwayne. He raises an eyebrow. Tell what I'm cooking. He raises an eyebrow. Yeah, yeah. So what's going on with uh, with Jimmy Uso? This is a mess. It's unfortunate, guys. You know, like you said, second DUI in two years. Overall, it's his third. You know, the one two years ago got dropped. He was he was found not guilty, which is still a head scratcher. But he's got a problem. I personally would have cut him. They have to do one of two things. You send them to rehab or you cut them. The reason they didn't cut when Jimmy Uso is who he's related to and where he's currently at, at, you know, in storylines. And that's from what I've been able to gather. I'm talking to some people around WWE and that's why in people around the situation, they have big plans of what is going to happen for WrestleMania 38 at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. 
It involves Roman Reigns. It involves The Rock. Jimmy Uso is a, a big cog in that wheel. They don't want to mess up anything going on in this storyline. Who knows how many times he's really done this? And just has sure. just not gotten caught. Sure. Yeah, certainly, certainly a sad situation. Kind of moving to another sad situation. Steve, earlier this week, we had the passing of another wrestling legend, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, passed away at the age of 71. Steve, when you hear the name Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, what do you think of? And did you have any interaction with him at all? The first thing I think of with him, and I started watching wrestling at five. And one of the first things I remember is when he turned on Hulk Hogan. Little Hulk. Yep. I would. Oh my God. I was so ultra Hulkamania. <laughs> I'm still Hulkamania. Just the way that angle played out was just great. They, that was one of Hogan's biggest career house show runs. He had two really big house show runs with Orndorff and including the one, the big one everyone talks about in Toronto at the big event, over six, 65,000 people. Of course, everyone remembers WrestleMania one, you know, him, Roddy Piper against Hulk Hogan and Mr. T you know, you remember, I remember his WCW run. I remember him and Paul Romo, tag team champions. Definitely a big loss in the world of wrestling. Yep. Well, I think we'll close that with this thought. I think if Paul Orndorff would have been uh, six inches taller, he would have been main evented at least one WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan. But be that as it may, AEW, you wanted to talk about some good news. AEW back on the road last week. And combine that with the debut of Malachi Black, the former Alistair Black. This is kind of the first of the uh, surprising releases from WWE that's been picked up. Uh, what are your thoughts on the being back on the road and Malachi Black, this character that's kind of similar to what he was doing, but obviously under a different name? I loved it. The biggest pop of the night went to Malachi Black, and the roof blew off that building. That crowd was sold out because no one saw it coming, and that's that's what makes wrestling great, guys. He's a star. He just wasn't used correctly. If that if Wednesday night last Wednesday night showed anything, he's a star. He's going to be huge for them. He's going to be a world champion. He's going to get used how he should have been used. Guys like that are can't miss. And when you when you miss on guys or girls that are can't miss, it's not the individual. It's the person who's making and the, the person or people making those decisions. But he's star. He's going to be put in a big-time program right away. It was the gimmick he was going to use in his return. When we saw one week of it, when he was on that one episode of SmackDown with Big E, WWE's loss is AEW's gain, and I really don't see them screwing him up. Steve, one last thing. You kind of hinted towards that. I was going to ask you about SmackDown, but I guess as a more direct question, are you hearing about anything special happening with the show since it's going to be in front of the first live audience in quite a while? I had heard John Cena. That had been reported. But WWE hasn't promoted him. So I really, I don't know. Hmm. In terms of, I would think they're going to do something big. 
but if I'm hyping a return of John Cena, I would be promoting the heck out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. was yeah. advertised as of a couple weeks ago for that show. He is still advertised for SummerSlam. He will be at SummerSlam. He will face <laughs> Roman Reigns for the universal title. For the, yeah, for the universal title. Surprises, they do have to fill one more women's spot. I've heard a name. All I'll say is they call her the man. Hmm. The working plan is that she was supposed to appear at WrestleMania and they, they held off. Hmm. So this is one of those things where they wanted to apparently wanted to plan it perfect, but I'm looking forward to it. I, I usually watch SmackDown on DV, my DVR, but this Friday we're going to watch it live. I want to see what happens. It's, I think it, I'm really excited to see it. You're supposed to have new sets. I, that's going to be a big thing they're going to be doing is a new set. I thought the presentation is going to be a little different. So it's going to be good to see a, a full capacity crowd. All right, let's take a uh, trip in the wrestling rewind machine. All right. We're going to go to July 7th, July 7th, 1996. You know what happened that day, Steve? Oh, God, one of my favorite days as a teenager. For the first time since he kind of came into WWF and long, that was long before anybody knew him as anything other than Hulk Hogan, the red and yellow good guy. Hulk Hogan came out to the ring at WCW Bash at the beach and turned into a bad guy. What, brother? What you gonna do, brother? I mean, this is a... This is a move. This is a pay-per-view, whatever you want to say, that um, changed the landscape of wrestling, isn't it? Oh, my God, yeah. Did you guys watch it? Yes, I watched it live. Did you? Saw it live. I did not see it live, but I saw it later after I heard what happened. So I saw it live, and buddy of mine that I'm watching it with, we see Hulk Hogan walking to the ring. And we both looked at each other. We were like, no, this cannot be. <laughs> and then it all went down. Yep. And we were like, what did we just see? I was watching it with like four buddies. Hogan came down and we're all like, oh, yeah, gonna, Hogan's going to get him. And I got one buddy. He was ended up being right. He goes, he's going to join up with the Paul and Nash. And I'm like, no. Hulk Hogan's not going to turn on the people. Why did he play he you? Like a yep. Drop the leg. <laughs> I was crushed. Yeah. Well, that uh, that crushed. added what? Eight more years to his career? Or, oh, well, hands down. I was nine. Well, eight at twenty-five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was he was all new and relevant and right back on top. I did a like a seventy-minute interview with Eric Bischoff. Mm. On, on the day it had on January on July 7th, he just like really broke down. Like we went from like, hey, he could say, like, what angle are you going at? And I'm like, I really want to go from when you got dropped with the power bomb at the Great American Bash. I want to go, I want to go to the day to the you know to after the shows through the end of that show. He told me something interesting, two interesting things I took away and made me really think about it. He didn't think Hogan was actually gonna do it, like. Yeah, Hogan had agreed, but Hogan's mind had constantly changed. The day before, he's like, I'm going to do it. He's like, I'm in. 
but Eric's, but, but, and then Bischoff's like, I wasn't really sure until he did, was doing the interview. He's like, even when he dropped the leg, I was expecting him to still get cold feet, do something to Scott and Kevin and just walk out. I'm like, hmm. that's interesting. Cause he, he said he was in like the, the risers of the arena. Like he was all the way. And I had heard this before from some people. I, cause I asked where he had been and he was like, no, he was like all the way in the stands. He just wore a hat and some sunglasses and he's one, he wanted to get the reaction of the crowd. And then the other thing I thought he said, it was interesting was the fact that sting was playing a Hogan was playing B they were going to, he was going to go with sting. And then he had a meeting with Hogan, Hogan invited him out to California. Hogan asked who the third guy was going to be And Bischoff didn't say nothing. He's like, I didn't want to show my hand. He's like, well, it's going to be me. But then I asked, well, what was plan C? What if Hogan didn't want to do it? What if sting wanted to turn it down and be like, I'm not comfortable doing this. I'm the franchise at WCW. He's like, I didn't have one. Huh. Wow. He's like, that's a good question. I've never been asked that. And he's like, and I really didn't have one. Well, and some very interesting observations there, Steve. We uh, will look for that. Where can people follow your work and uh, follow you on social media? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. S. Mulehausen, J-R. That's S-M-U-E-H-L-H-A-U-S-E-N-J-R. You can find my articles on thezone.com. My podcast, The Walkway to Fight Club, which will have that interview with Eric Bischoff. Just type in the Walkway to Fight Club. Subscribe on all your favorite podcasting channels, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and all that. All right, Steve. Well, uh, thanks for getting in the ring, and we'll uh, see what kind of stuff we have to talk about in a couple of weeks. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, Ken. Here's the news you need to know and probably don't. North Olmsted, Ohio, the Dillard's Department Store. You been there? Yeah, actually. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Me too. Well, an employee there apparently watched a woman put two dresses in a bag and then try to leave. The employee tried to stop the suspect. Scuffle broke out. Two men grabbed the suspect, held her for police. Investigators found two clothing items valued at about 170 bucks. They also found some suspected pot in her purse. Oh, boy. The suspect refused to take a copy of the complaint, claimed she was working undercover, and asked the cops to hurry up with the ticket so she could get ready for a sting operation with Cleveland. That's a great call. I'll have to remember that one the next time I decide to do something like that. I have to get to a sting. Move. I need to get to this shakedown undercover move now. Yep. Yep. Uh, an Iowa man accused of bringing guns and ammunition to a downtown hotel over the July 4th weekend. 32-year-old Keegan Castile arrested, later faced a judge, set bond to 10 grand. That means he only owed a thousand bucks to bond out, so he did. Later, he was spotted by TV crews at a police station getting his belongings. He would not talk to the reporters. But when he got to a car with Iowa plates, a woman got out. And then he got down on one knee and proposed. <laughs> the woman started to cry as the two got back in the car and drove away. Now, interestingly, there are reports that Castile is already married. <laughs> wow. What's going on here? Really interesting story. You got yeah. a lot going on here. Yep. 
I don't know if I've been just out of the clink and paid my bond and I'd be getting on one knee and saying, yeah. hey, you want to get married? Yeah. I'm a criminal, but do you want to get married? Well, maybe the cop gave him the wrong belongings and he just had an extra ring. And, you Could know, be. Oh, here, here, Could you, be. you want this? 3,000 pairs of false eyelashes have been seized by customs investigators in New Orleans. Lashes were illegally brought in from China. They were illegal because they haven't been approved by the FDA. Spokesman says there's no way to tell if the eyelashes were exposed to disease during manufacturing or if they were stored properly and kept away from insect-infested areas. Unregulated lashes could carry dangerous materials and cause allergic reactions, eye irritation, or worse. Wow, I can't wait to get a couple pairs of these. Now we know why New Orleans is one of the most stressed cities in the world. Ah, Too many illegal false eyelashes. That's it. You got it. South Korea, an engineering professor, has created an eco-friendly toilet that uses human excrement to produce biogas and manure. Okay. Again, Ken, I'm going to give you away a little secret here. Story is always better and usually going to be on this podcast if the phrase human excrement is a part yep. of it. Yep. Now, this toilet that the guy uh, created sends the feces, that's another word we look for, into an underground tank where microorganisms break the waste down into methane. Methane now being used in a building to power a gas stove, a hot water boiler, and a solid oxide fuel cell. An engineer says the average person poops about 500 grams a day, and that can be turned into 50 liters of methane gas. Hmm. That amount of methane can be used to drive a car about three-quarters of a mile. Wow. That's interesting. So I, I guess can't if believe you this wasn't in your good news segment. <laughs> I, I, I don't have anything to add here. A woman in China, upset because her boyfriend left her for another woman, hatched a plan for revenge. Police say the woman had another guy rent her ex-boyfriend's car. The two then proceeded to commit traffic violations using the ex's car. They apparently noted where traffic cameras were and used the cars to get a speeding ticket. And they also ran 49 red lights over a two-day period. <laughs> Where they finally got arrested. This is one of the best stories you've had. It's because I can it, envision someone really doing this. You know, yeah. what? I'm going to get back at this son of a gun, and I'm going to yep. take his car and have somebody else drive it and run all these red lights. Oh and God. guess who the fines go to? The person on, him, the, baby. on license. Oh, <laughs> that's classic. That that's, is really funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, wow. That's one way to get your revenge. Oh, goodness. Well, that's how we're going to close up this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. Ken, we're coming up on the end of the Cody Risen episode, episode number 63. We need to give a big thanks to Steve Muehlhausen from The Zone for some interesting insight into the world of the pro wrestling and that was interesting to hear that uh, 
if it wasn't Sting and it wasn't Hulk Hogan joining the NWO, he didn't know who it was going to be. The next man up would be no one. They had nobody, nothing. That was a, and that's why I enjoy talking to Steve, to be honest with you. He really has some inside info and the people that he interviews, I had no idea that Hulk Hogan wasn't necessarily, you know, if he didn't want to have that spot to be the heel that they're going to do with Sting. That is, that's unbelievable information. I did not yep. know that. Yep. That's cool. And we want to thank Jen Lauren. Hopefully she'll uh, make her uh, 24 hour drive and be uh, ready to sing at the next tour stop for diamonds and whiskey. I'll yes. be starting a new band called uh, brass and uh, Coca-Cola here. Very I'll shortly. be starting one that's called empty pockets. So, <laughs> yeah. But how cool was Jen? Now we, yeah. we had the opportunity to talk to some different people at times. We've had some, we had some pretty big guests, but to talk to somebody that you've never really had any connection with or anything like that. She was outstanding, very yep. candid, very easy to talk to. Obviously that conversation went extremely well and I wish her the best. Her music's great. I had the yep. opportunity to listen to most of her album and that song that she has is, is very cool. So I, I wish her the best and she's touring all over, not real super close to here, but a lot of places in North Carolina, South Carolina and all throughout. So I wish her the best on her tour. And it's so cool. We're back to live music. I, I'm still not sure what swampy sounds like, but I do like the sound of their music. I'll say that. Yeah, I so. like, I like that. Yes. yes. And I'm still upset. We don't need to thank Dusty Sloan because he's on vacation or what is, what is the excuse? Well, he's on vacation and I, Dusty is, you know, I've known him for a long time. I was putting two and two together He's celebrating an anniversary. It's his 13th anniversary with him and his and his wife. Mandy and Dusty, congrats on your anniversary. Well, well deserved. Enjoy your vacation. Don't worry about the PTO form. We'll, yeah. we'll negate that. Yep. But uh, you will have you'll be doc pay for the next time. Yep. Yep. We'll have to have you talk about two uh, sports uh, items from Cleveland the next time. That's exactly. We'll get double our money. Yes. All right. Well, we'll hopefully, hopefully uh, Dusty will be back next week and uh, we'll see what else, what other kind of nonsense we have, but until next weekend, have a tremendous rest of the week. You too as well, Ted. We're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV, custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.